Well, my pleasure to be able to teach this morning. You guys are here. You don't know me. I'm in the back sometimes with the kids. I'm the associate pastor here. My name is Curtis Shockey. I love being a part of this church, and uh, this is definitely our family. And so, love you guys to death. I can't, I, you guys know I love teaching God's Word, so I'm excited about this morning. And it's been something I've been challenged on, a very easy thing that I take for granted. And so I'm really hoping that you guys also, the Spirit will speak to you, and I hope you find it as exciting as I do as we go through God's Word together and uh, the topic that we're going to hit this morning. And yes, we are doing a topic, usually at Calvary Chapel. Uh, we go verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter. Sean's going through uh, um, Galatians, yes, Acts. I forgot. See, I've been in the back for a little bit. He's probably wide. He's going to be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> who let that guy up there? Yeah, you're going through Acts. So... Um, and it's awesome. Uh, it, neat, neat book to go through is, of course, in Acts. And, uh, but we're going to pause just a little bit, probably this weekend, next week, and do some topical. But as we go through topical, we're going to rip open the scriptures, stay in context of scripture, and just see what God has to show us through that. So if you guys would pray with me this morning, and uh, we'll get started. Lord, we love you. You're such a good God to us. Uh, the things that you daily, things that we forget about, um, you know, giving us even the breath to be able to live this day out for you, Lord, that we might praise your name for that. You're so good to us. And uh, Lord, we do have suffering and things that we have to go through on this earth, and um, help us to m- focus and have perspective on that, that we might uh, draw closer to you through those times, Lord, and that you might be glorified through our lives, that everything we do is for your name's sake, that you might be praised. Lord, we want to lift up Israel and pray for their peace as you ask us to. Um, we pray for all the hurting families um, on both sides, Lord. But especially for Israel, we know that you've said in your word that you will never remove them from their land again once they've been established. And your promises are so true. And we, we love seeing that worked out, Lord, because you give so many other promises that are even applicable to us. But we do pray for your people over there, Lord, and to be quick and uh, that they would be able to stop the, the terrorism that's been going on. Heal those families' lives with the horrendous things that they've seen and experienced, Lord, uh, that they might find you. Uh, you know where your people are. And, uh, Lord, you just uh, remove that veil from their face that they might see you and glorify you as the Messiah. And, uh, Lord, just this morning as we get into your word, I ask that you would just teach us, um, challenge us, Lord. um, Get us excited about knowing who you are and uh, that we might live out um, these days, whether you have our timing uh, set for us or we're going to be there until you come back. However it is, Lord, that you might be glorified through our lives, that we'd be those watchmen. Uh, watching for your return, not trying to get ready, but being ready. And uh, Lord, just continue to use us as you see fit, as we've given our lives to you. And uh, we just thank you so much for the sacrifice and us being able to come to you and your restoration of that that relationship, Lord. Um, We glorify and honor you. Pour out your spirit on me this morning, please, Lord, as I teach you your word, that it might be straight from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so some heroes of mine in the faith. I love reading uh, missionary biographies. If you guys ever want to get excited about your walk with Jesus Christ, go and read uh, some biographies. They will challenge you. And uh, the things that these guys have been through, and they're not all like, oh, these guys were super spiritual from the day they were born, and you know they just knew where they are supposed to go, and it wasn't like that. Some of these guys had some pretty hard things that they went through, and uh, some neat testimony, and they were crazy. They were. Some of my heroes, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through two of them. Uh, David Livingston's one of them, and you guys may have heard of him. He was a missionary to, uh, well, he was a lot of things. He was an explorer, philanthropist, uh, missionary, pioneer, abolitionist, um, back in the early 1800s, actually all of 1800s. So 1813 is when he was born, to 1873 is when he lived. And uh, he did some powerful things. He did some unbelievable things. That guy, uh, unstoppable. And uh, he started working uh, at age 10. Only 10 years old, that's how they did it back then in the 19th century, right? Uh, 12 hours a day as a 10-year-old at his uh, father's cotton mill. Um, after reading through Karl uh, Gustav, uh, there was a, um, a German missionary, and his appeal, this guy had appeal for medical missionaries in China in 1834. He was determined to answer that call, and so he went to Gaskell College. He was Scottish, so he was over there in uh, 1836, and he joined the London Missionary Society uh, by 1840, and he was trained medically and ready to go. So then he was ready to go to China. That's where his heart was set on. But then the first opium war uh, broke out, which was very dangerous for foreigners to go over there, especially inland. They didn't even have them inland because they would be killed. The foreign devils, they did not want them there. 
and a lot of the blame was because of the opium that the foreigners had brought in. So uh, China was shut off to him. That was in 1839, right before he got he graduated and was ready to go. Um, but then after he he met Robert Moffat, which was a uh, missionary into Africa and South Africa, and so he went down there to join. Robert Moffat, and they had a very in the south part of Africa, and they had a compound there. It didn't really fit for him. Uh, and a lot of people say he was not a very good missionary, and he was having troubles. Um, but there was a saying that there was a thousand fires up north, and basically talking about the pits that were there. That was the different villages. And tons of villages up there that nobody had reached. And so it really inspired him to want to go and look further into Africa. And uh, so he wanted to know the tribes deeper because he felt like he was just lacking something there. He wanted to know their culture better, and so he figured if he started going up north, he would get to know that, and he wanted to get to the heart of Africa. And at that time, Europeans didn't know anything about the heart of Africa. Nobody had made it all the way in there. It was a very treacherous place, and especially with the means that they had to get into those places, I couldn't imagine what the, the things that he did with the supplies that he had. Amazing life. Uh, so with one, he was up... He finally went up there, and he went and visited uh, uh, one of his visits to, uh, and I'm going to hack these names because I do not speak African, but he went to uh, Mo, uh, Mabotsa in uh, Botswana, present-day Botswana. Back then, it wasn't Botswana, and he tried to help a village there. He was really going to show, hey, I'm going to come in there and help you. There's a lion attacking uh, the villagers or lions, um, kind of like the, the, that movie, The Light and Darkness, I think is what it was, or yeah. Anyways, he's going to go in there, he's going to take out these lions. Here's the European, I'm going to show you guys how it's done. Well, he shoots, maims the lion, doesn't kill it, and the lion attacks him. And uh, he survived it, except for it tore up his whole left arm, broke his arm, and for the rest of his life he had problems with his left arm. Uh, but he did earn respect. I mean, anybody that's ready to jump out there and then also survive a lion attack, uh, he, he was known for that, and so they really started to respect him. He ended up marrying uh, Robert Moffat's daughter, and they had six children together, and uh, later she would die of malaria. Now, I'd say that about his life. He wasn't that great of a father because his heart was in Africa, so he sent his kids back up to England. And, uh, you know, he really wasn't around for that as a father and a husband. Uh, a hard part in his life, and I, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. That's why Paul says, blessed is a man that's not married, because then he can be of the things of God, right? Um, not saying it's bad to be married either, because you'll learn a lot through that. If you guys aren't married, you know. Yeah. So... Then, uh, I don't know if you know this, first European to see Victoria Falls uh, in, in the heart of Africa. What he was doing is he was trying to go up, and he, uh, he was preaching the gospel as he went, and his goal was to map out the uh, Zambezi River um, all the way to the sea, which is right up in the heart of Africa, and then it goes off to the east. Um, it had been tried by others, but nobody could succeed it. It was, it was a very harsh climate, jungle, tribes trying to kill you. I mean, think of like the craziest movie you could think of of being in the jungle of Africa back at that time. That's how it was for malaria, all these sicknesses. And then uh, he ends up making it. Um, he went from South Africa, you know, he trekked all the way up there to the center of Africa. Then he went to the east, or on your guys' side, to the east. And then he went over to the west of Africa. And so he kind of made a cross up there as he traveled through that over all the years that he was there. His last mission was to try to find the source of the Nile. And, uh, you know, he ended up dying at 60 years. They actually lost him for seven years in the jungle, too. Um, they sent another missionary, or not a missionary, a journalist, American journalist, to go try to find him. They ended up finding each other. And uh, he ended up passing away at 60 years old, deep into the jungle. And that was, that was his life. I encourage you guys, if you want to see an exciting story, go read his biography. A uh, lot more details than what I just gave you. Another hero of mine is Hudson Taylor, probably one of my favorites. Hudson Taylor, what an awesome guy. I had a lot of influence in my life from him when I went out on the mission field. Um, he was around uh, 1832 is when he was born, and he died in 1907, or sorry, 05, um, and he went to China. That's where he ended up getting up in there, even with the warring going on, or, well, the end of the warring. Uh, he was a guy that struggled with his faith. 15 years old, completely walked away from the Lord. Now, before that, I think it was around nine years old, the Lord had told him he's going to go on the mission field. But he was, uh, later on, just totally gave it up, went into the world, started doing things of the world, you know, got into some pretty scary things. And then at 17, he was like, he, I think he listened to a teacher and was completely convinced again and, and saw his depravity without Jesus Christ and turned his life back over to Jesus Christ at 17 years old. And then he ended up going to uh, China at 21 years old. He was there for 54 years. And uh, the, the things that this guy did, 
So I'll just give you some of the facts of what he did. He started a mission society in China that that would bring 800 missionaries over there. He started 125 schools. Um, 125,000 came to Christ through his ministry. About 20 of those thousands personally through him. He he baptized 30,000 people. Um, He established more than 300 stations. And uh, later there would be over 500 local workers, which was a huge deal at that time, unheard of. 500 local workers in all 18 provinces of China. And what he was really known for is that when he went there, the Europeans were very much like, we're Europeans, you're savages, right? We've shown up, we're going to teach you. And so what would happen when a missionary would do that is they'd look at, oh, here's this guy, the white Jesus is here now, right? Or the European Jesus is here. And he saw that when he was in there in China, they would not let him into the interior. They would let him travel around, but there's no way he was going to get to talk to the people. You are a foreign devil. Go away, (laughs) Like, you have nothing to offer us. We're established. On the European side and the people that he was with, it was like, you savages need to know Jesus so that you can completely change. Look at we dress in pants and vests and all this, and you guys are wearing that. And uh, at that time, they cut their hair where they had just a circle of hair in the back and then a long ponytail, right? Hudson Taylor saw that none of this was happening where they couldn't get in. At the, at the uh, border, like right where the sea was, they were okay. They were talking to some people, kind of... Chinese were getting to know because they wanted to be more European. And so they were like, okay, we're going to be more European. Let's take on the European God. Hudson Taylor ended up shaving his head, except for in the back, braiding his hair, started dressing like the Chinese, and he started going in the interior. Now, he was mocked for this. You can imagine at this time, just the Europeans were not having it. And the other missionaries were harsh to him, saying, you're, you're, what are you doing? You're like worshiping them. You're, you're completely conforming to their ways. And he saw that, that he needed to get himself out of the way so that they could see Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ was. And so he did that, and they started inviting him into the homes, and they actually asked the other missionaries to stay outside of the home, the ones that were still dressed up in their European outfit. And uh, that's how he started getting in, and people started getting saved. And then the other missionaries saw it, and so they started doing the same thing, and all of a sudden it just started blowing up. Two awesome men. Awesome guys. Read about them, guys. They, they such good biographies, so encouraging life. The reason I want to talk about them, though, and why I brought them up is now that I've shared a bunch of facts about these guys, would you say that you know them? Would you say that you know these guys? If you've read their biography, would you know them? Okay. You know, after hearing all this information, maybe in going that, we would say that, well, some people would be like, oh, yeah, I, I know about them. I know of them, Right? So you can have a bunch of facts and everything and not know. It, it, uh, is it enough, enough information to know a person to say that you do know them? Is it just based on information? To know a person really is to, what, have a relationship with them, isn't it? That's how I know somebody. You guys have probably watched that famous film, The Avatar, and they say in there, what, I see you. That's the way that they say, I know you. Because they spent time, that relationship's happened. And so they know. And so here's the question for this morning. This is what we're going to talk about. Do you know of Jesus or do you know Jesus? Do you know of Jesus or do you know Jesus? And now before you jump to the answer, well, of course I know Jesus. Let me ask this. By your actions, your life lived out daily, would others conclude that you know Jesus? Or does your life say, yeah, I know about that guy, Jesus? Actions always speak louder than the words, don't they? And so that's one of the things, even when I've gone through it, I'm like, I'm so quick to say, well, of course I know you, Jesus, but does my life look like that? Does it look like that? Can I say in every aspect of my life, people would actually look at it and say, yeah, he knows Jesus. He doesn't just know of him. He knows him. There's a relationship. And so let's dive into the scriptures today, and we might be challenged and encouraged by knowing Jesus. And so we're going to look at these three things that I looked at in the scriptures, and I think that these really show us, do we know Jesus? So to know Jesus, here's the three things. First, we keep his commandments. If you know Jesus, you keep his commandments, all right? The second is, do we count all things lost? Do we count all things lost? You know Jesus if you count all things lost. And then the third one is, do we understand who is true or who is truth? You know Jesus when you understand who is true. It's a big deal today. It's a big deal with all the lies that are going on. And so, let's dive into it. The first one, to know Jesus, we keep his commands. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 
1 John chapter 2. If you have not read through 1 John, it's a very challenging book or letter that John wrote in challenging us where we are with the Lord. There's a lot of talking about if you know Jesus in this. It's a great study to go through. Super easy. Just a couple chapters, five chapters. Maybe some of you, it's only three pages in your Bible, but it's a neat one to invest your time in. If you guys need something to read in your devotional time in the morning or even when you go home today, read through it. It's a very challenging part of Scripture. So we're going to just look at verses 3 through 6 here. On 1 John 2, it says this, Now by this we know that we know him. Okay? So if you don't know, you're about to know. That's what it's saying. If we keep his commandments. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 4, it says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought, ought, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. That's some big challenges, isn't it? So I think this can be understood in two different ways here. First, and I think these are both correct ways to understand it. First, in verse 3, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Or another way of saying it, I know Jesus, and because of that, my spirit naturally follows his ways. There's going to be evidence of you knowing Jesus Christ because you're going to follow his commandments. That's a natural thing as you go closer. Now, recognize that I said that my spirit naturally follows because your flesh doesn't naturally, does it? The flesh does not want to follow after his ways. It wants to follow after your own ways. The spirit does. The second one is in verse 4. The other way of looking at it. If we say we know him, we should keep his commandments. So I know Jesus, and so I try to follow his commandments. I know him, so I want to do that. That's a desire of mine. Because I've been approved by him, I want to do that. So then the question is, what are Jesus' commands? Is it just the Ten Commandments? Because we can look at that and say, well, you know, of course, he's God as well, so he gave the Ten Commandments, so, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't, well, lied is kind of a hard one for all of us. I'm pretty sure you've done that at least once, right? You go down through the list. I haven't committed adultery. You know, you go on, each person has their thing. Um, but the next point we're going to go over, if I've forsaken all things, we're going to address that righteousness that you think you might have. But before we get there, his commands, what are they? So here's some commands, and these are quite a bit. As I was going through, I was like, okay, i got to stop. So I just came up with the ones that, are, uh, that Jesus actually spoke, okay? So we're going to go through, and this is a lot. Of course, it's going to be in the Gospels, because that's where we see the narrative for Jesus. So the first one, here's the commands from Jesus, to repent and believe, okay? And as we go through these, think about these. Okay, if I'm claiming to know Jesus, is this being fulfilled in my life? Is this being acted out? Is this something that people would say and say, yes, they have repented and they have believed? I see evidence of it. I see the fruit, okay? So that's that first one. Uh, the next one that he, he commands is go make disciples, but that, baptizing them, and teaching them. That's in Matthew 28, 19, 20. Uh, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? And love who else? Your neighbor. Like what? As yourself. Okay, that's the other one. That's another command that he gives us in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. The Lord's Supper. Doesn't he command us to do that? Yeah, he commands us to do that. So I'd encourage you guys, if you feel for some reason that you can't partake of that, if you're a child of God, you're supposed to be taking it. You're supposed to. If you don't think you're worthy to take it, none of us are. If you think you're taking it for the wrong reasons, well, it talks about that in the Scriptures. It's mainly because you have a hard heart and you're not unwilling to confess sin or you're just really hungry and you're hoping you get full off of a cracker. That's the two things. So you're probably okay to take it, but that's a command that God gives us to remember Him through that, that time together, that communion that we have together in Luke 22, 19 and 20. Okay, now this one's a long one. You guys, I went through and I just, I, I just got the points, but the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and just bold commands. It's Jesus coming and basically flipping over the whole idea of the world and them saying, you need to live this way. And he goes, nope. He's like, this is the way you're supposed to be doing it. And he puts some hard, tall orders in there for us. So here we go. We're going to go through this. This is all in uh, Matthew, is the ones that I pulled it from. Uh, you guys can know it's in other Gospels, but shine the light is the first one. You're supposed to be shining. 
That means giving the gospel. Again, that goes with making disciples, right? But you're supposed to shine the light. That's in verse 16 of chapter 5. Don't teach others to break the commands. Don't do that. That's a really bad one. You know, it even says you're leading these little ones astray. You're gonna, it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. Don't do that one. 519, that's where it talks about that. Don't hate people. Now, this is going to start getting into places where like, ooh, not very good at that one. Don't hate people. That's what it says. Don't hate people. I mean, that's the abbreviated version, but that's 522. Forgive in 524. Don't lust after anything. That's 528. Don't divorce. In some of these, you guys know, there's, you've got to read a little bit further. There's reasons for it, but also there are reasons not to. So don't divorce. 533. Don't lie. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's in 537. Go the second mile. It's like go further. That's also the uh, turn your other cheek when somebody's you know, slapping you because of what you're saying about Jesus Christ. Uh, love your enemies. That goes to like basically not hating anybody, even your enemies. Uh, please God and not man. Pray, especially in the right way. Um, fast for God's pleasure, not, not to be seen by men as it goes through that in six, uh, 16 through 18. Don't stack up treasures here, but in heaven. Ouch. Right? What is the most important thing to us on this earth? And that's, that's, a, that's a good one for us. Being careful not to stack up our treasures, but you know, to stack them up where it, your heart should be in heaven. Looking to those heavenly things, don't worry. Another hard one, isn't it? He says, don't worry. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. And he goes through that whole part in 6, 25 through 32. Seek after the kingdom of God in 6, 33. Don't judge people's motives in 7, 1 through 6. Ask, seek, knock. Ask God, seek after God, knock on his door, right? That's that prayer life. That's that fellowship with him in 7, 7 through 12. And then build on the rock. The rock needs to be the foundation to your life, Jesus Christ. And that's 7, 24 through 27. Now, there's a ton more, guys. We could go through a lot of those. Uh, you know, there's even more that we could look at. The apostles taught, and the apostles were supposed to be passing on what Jesus taught them. So we could just take, go through and see what all the apostles. We could talk about, don't let any filthy word come out of your mouth. Right? That's a hard one. All of these, these are, these are really hard things to deal with. But this is if we know Jesus. Do we know him? We need to understand that we will struggle with these commands as the spirit and the flesh battle, right? This does not mean that you do not know Jesus. So I'm saying is if you guys are struggling with these things, you do know Jesus. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a struggle. If you don't struggle with these things and you're okay with them, you're, you're going on in life, like you're okay with your, or purposely continuing with it, with no repentance, and disobeying these commands, I conclude that you only know of Jesus. You do not know him. And that seems very to the point, but that's how it is. And I hope that you hear, and I hope that you guys look at your own lives, and any of these things, am I excusing it? Am I pushing it away? Am I saying it's okay to do that because culturally it's okay to do this? No, God commands, Jesus Christ commands, and if you want to know him, you're going to want to follow after his ways like we said. You're going to want to do it. Just like what it says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If you don't, you're a what? Liar. So it is very straightforward, but he does that because he loves us. He doesn't want us to continue in this false living that we think maybe we've set up for ourselves and we've excused ourselves to a sin. Step back today and say, you know what? That's something I do need to repent of. I need to walk away from. I need to stop at giving excuses for it. I have the power of Jesus Christ in my life. We're going to talk about it in a second. The power of the resurrection. I have that. So I have the ability through Jesus Christ to walk away from it. We want to know Jesus, therefore we follow his commands. We follow his commands because we know him. Okay? Next one. Second one. If we know Jesus... We can count all things lost. Turn over Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. 
Philippians, and I am kind of stealing a little bit of thunder from our Wednesday night studies. As you guys know, men's and women are going through Philippians, but we have a little bit till we get to chapter 3, so maybe you guys will forget about it by the time we get there. But it's such a great verse, especially in knowing Jesus and what Paul talks about here and how he encourages the church in Philippi. So Philippians 3, chapter, or verse 8. Uh, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the ex- excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his de- death. Now these scriptures, guys, we could just go on a long time on this. This is powerful words right here. Especially if you understand them, you start studying through them and looking at other scripture. This will change your life. When you understand what the power of the resurrection is talking about, we're going to dip into it just a little bit, but what awesome things. Now, context is everything, isn't it? When you go through scripture... I could just read this, and now I could go on a whole sermon about how you guys need to forsake everything that you have, get rid of all your material goods, right? I've considered all things lost for the sake of Christ. So you guys need to go sell all your vehicles, go sell your homes, and we're all going to live in this church for a while, and we're going to learn how to do this right and know Jesus. <laughs> hey, you guys, believe it or not, people have done that. It's sad. You have to know the context, and the context right before this is Paul is going on, and he's talking about his life, all of his righteousness that he's stacked up. You know, he's telling people, beware, in verse 2 of chapter 3, beware of dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation. The guys are trying to get them to do circumcision. For we are the circumcision who work, worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. That is what he's talking about. I have no confidence in the flesh as far as our righteousness. He goes on then to talk about where he thought he had his righteousness from. He says, I also might have confidence in the flesh, If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. I did it all right. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. And then he goes into verse 8. That's the context. Not talking about material goods. I'll let the Lord deal with you guys in that own thing. You know if you have stuff in your life that is, it's become a thing that you, you can't, you know, it's more important to you than God. More time, more time is spent with that than being with him. But this is talking about where you get your righteousness from. So to know Jesus is to know where your righteousness comes from. We don't need to move out to the middle of a desert and live in a bush so that we might know Jesus more. I remember when I was on the mission field, there was these kids, these young guys that came down. I mean, I was young at the time, but they're younger, and uh, they're just, I think they are only married a couple months, and uh, they wanted to live in the poorest community that was in their town, so they did, and then they would boast about going to the dump and finding food at the dump, so they'd wait for the meat trucks to back up there, and they'd go grab the meat, and they'd tell me all the time, you know, it's so good, and if you just carve off all the edges that are bad, and like they go through all this stuff, and they loved exactly what you guys are doing, being like, that's so gross, you guys are nasty. They love that. Because what it was doing is they were able to boast. They were actually boasting in their poverty. They were trying to live as poor as they possibly could to show how dedicated they were to the Lord. It's called the poverty gospel. It used to be done by the monks a long time ago. Maybe even still some sects do it where they go out and move out in the middle of nowhere, eat very, very little, and dress you know, in rags just to show their poverty, to show how extreme, to show how dedicated they are to the Lord. That's not what he's calling us to. That's not, unfortunately, these guys were a little off on that and understanding what he was calling them to. But they were seeking their own righteousness by the works that they were doing. So if we claim, here's the things. Now, a lot of times we'll be like, you know what, I don't have a problem with that. I, I know Jesus Christ is the one, but I want to I challenge you. If this has come up in your heart or you've even said this out of your mouth, I would challenge you that you probably are dipping into your own righteousness. So if we claim to be a good person, if you say that you're not as bad as this other person, or if you state that you have done more good than harm, you're in danger of trying to prove your own righteousness. 
And if you think that you are righteous apart from Christ, you don't know him. You can't know Jesus. Jesus is your righteousness. So if you're finding in any way apart from him, you don't know him. Come back. Come back. Paul speaks of forsaking all that he might know Christ and the power of his resurrection in verse 10 there. Self-righteousness has no room for Christ or his resurrection. Has no room for Christ or his resurrection. Knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection means this. This is from Galatians 2, chapter, or sorry, chapter 2, verse 20. Knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection means this. This is Paul speaking. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where it's at. And then verse 21, it goes on and it talks about that if through the law Christ, uh, uh, if we can get righteousness through the law, which means we can get it ourselves, right? Doing good things, like what even Paul said in the other one where he's, uh, he was blameless according to the law. I mean, he thought he completed it all. Then Christ died in vain, didn't he? If you can find your righteousness through doing good things, then Christ died in vain. There is no necessity for Christ to die for you if you can do it yourself. And that mixes up a lot of things if you go into that and you start believing that. We even talked about it a couple days ago, and, and uh, it's sad because people are looking for assurance, but they're not looking for it in the right place. You come to Jesus Christ, you have assurance. It doesn't come later. You have it. The example was given. I mean, you guys that have had kids, okay? And you guys will probably know this even if you haven't had kids. This just goes, you'll understand this. But you don't wait for your kid to get older and be like, you know what, I'm going to accept you today. <laughs> After all the things you've put me through and all the things you've done, your good has outweighed your bad over these years, so I accept you at 40 years old now. <laughs> what a horrible life to live as a child, always wondering if your parents accepted you or not, you know? Oh, that's, that's ridiculous. We don't even live our own lives that way. When is acceptance given to a child? At their conception. At their conception they're done. What happens to a believer? At their conception, when that new life has been given through Jesus Christ, guess what? You're accepted. And now I want to do what's right. Now I want to do what's good because I want to know Jesus. I don't want to just know of him. I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. And that's where it gets so powerful because when you know the power of the resurrection, that usually is what will help you in walking away from the sin. You understand that you've been raised in newness of life. Go look at Romans chapter 6. The old man has been crucified. He's been done away with, put on the cross. All past tense, not a process. It's been done away with. And in our faith, we believe that it has been nailed to the cross. And now that I've been raised in newness of life with Jesus Christ, that's the resurrection. I was dead in my sins. My spirit was dead. I could not go put a band-aid of good works on it and hope to raise something from the dead. It took Jesus Christ and his resurrection to bring me up from the dead. And our bodies and ourselves, later on as Corinthians talks about, we'll get to be with him, right? Physically raised, not just spiritually. And that's such an exciting thing to know and the promises. And so because the life can be lived that and because you understand and know him and know his resurrection, you would count everything that you've done to be a good person as trash, See, it says rubbish here. That's an English word from England for trash, okay? Everything that you've tried to do is good. If Can you look at it as it's trash? It's rubbish. Everything you've done for your own righteousness. So evidence and knowing Jesus in the context that we're talking about, here's what it's going to look like. And this is why, because when you understand the resurrection, this is naturally what's going to happen. You're going to suffer long with others. You're going to be kind. You're not going to be jealous. You're not going to be prideful. You're not going to be rude. You're going to prefer others. You're not going to be easily provoked. You're going to love the truth. You're not going to think evil. You're going to endure all things. And see, what's happening is that as you're stepping, you're knowing Jesus Christ and his resurrection, you're stepping one more step closer to him. 
Every time you guys do one of these things, and this comes out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is love, it's describing love here. Every time you take a closer step in love, in this agape love, this unconditional love, you're taking a step closer to Jesus Christ and knowing him even more. And guess what? As you get to know Jesus Christ, it starts revealing what you're like. And you guys have heard me say this example a lot. I love it, though. I think it's very applicable. Is if we're in this room, we turn all the lights off, every one of us get in a corner, and we put Jesus in the middle, the light of the world. As you guys draw out of the corners and you start walking towards him, doing these things, loving others, preferring others, right? Taking those steps, guess what? You get closer to the light, what's going to happen? Are you going to look better? Probably not, because you've been rolling in mud. You've been rolling in sin. And as you draw closer to him, you start looking at yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, it was better in the dark. I didn't have to look at how filthy I am. It's so good to draw close to Jesus because you get to see who you truly are. Not so that you can be bummed out about it, but you can see your Savior and be like, I cannot believe he died for this filth, for this rubbish. Praise Jesus that it's all on his work because as I come out into the light, I can see there was no way I could have cleansed myself. No way. But when you stay in the darkness, you can be totally convinced that you can do that. You can believe the lie that you could be righteous in yourself, as the world does. And so we draw closer, we take those steps, we come out there, we understand his resurrection. That is the type of person that knows Jesus and his resurrection. You understand the grace and mercy given to you, and so you are compelled to give the same to others. Isn't that cool? As you see Jesus working in your life and you see how dirty you are because you have no righteousness of your own, how could you not treat somebody else in that same kind of grace and mercy that's been given to you? Because you know how filthy you are. And that other person's maybe just doing the slightest, tiniest little thing to you that's annoying to you, right? And that should be something so small to who you know you are before Jesus Christ, and yet he pours that out on you. How could I not do that for my wife? How could I not do that for my child? How could I not do that for my brother or sister or for my enemy when Christ has done so much for me? Third one, to know Jesus. We understand who is true or who is truth. We go over at 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. First John 5:20. Right at the end of the letter that John is writing there, he says three different no's. We're going to just focus on the last one in verse 20. He says this, and he says, "And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ." So to know Jesus is to know truth. Do you guys, anybody here love truth? Just wondering. Yeah, okay, there's a couple back here that like truth. All right, what's good? Better than nobody. We love truth, don't we? Do you love Jesus? Do you know they're one and the same? They are, right? You guys know the scripture. What is it? John 14, 6. For I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can go to the Father any other way. Nope. He's the only way, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. He's given us understanding, and he's given us truth from the God of the universe. Quick question is, what have you done with that understanding? What have you done with the understanding that's been given to you? You've been given an understanding from the God of the universe. Have you walked away from it and gone after the understanding of the world? Have you gone into the world's psychology of humans? And man, have you dove into that on how they think that man's mind should work and this is what you should do to help it out? Or have you gone after their biblical training in that? Have you gone after the world and saying what identity is and acceptance? Or have you gone after what truth is? Because those are lies, guys. Have you gone after the lie that it's loving to say everything in this world is true when it's not loving to do that? If I've got something on my face, guys, please tell me. Don't let me stand there with something in my nose. <laughs> Be loving. <laughs> tell me. It's not loving to let somebody go about looking and acting the fool against Jesus Christ. 
if following and believing has it caused you to know Jesus or just know of him in this understanding? Ask this, in my daily living, do I know Jesus? And if so, how does that look? It should look like you walk in truth consistently. You walk in truth. And notice how there's such an attack on truth in our generation in these years, especially of late, right? I mean, it goes back to the 70s, though, in attacking truth. I mean, going on, we know throughout all the ages the truth has been attacked, but it has been a huge, huge warfare to go against truth lately. If objective truth has no value, then Jesus cannot be found in that person's life. If objective truth has no value, that's a truth outside of that person. Subjective is what they believe, right? If they find no truth outside of themselves, Jesus cannot be found in there. Because Jesus is not a figment of your imagination or something you've made up to convince yourself. He is outside of that. He is truth. He is objective truth. The person is left to their own understanding, which is produced through their own experience and feelings. Are you driven by your own experience and your own feelings? Is that where you find truth? Well, I've experienced this the other day, and so I believe that has to be true, because I've experienced it. I feel this way, so that must be true. I'm sure a lot of your arguments with other people and other relationships in your life is because one person feels one way and another person feels the other way. And guess what? Conflict. We see that happening over in the East right now. There's two sides that feel very differently about each other, right? They're completely based on feelings. Are they based on truth at all? No. A lot of them are, have no dealings with God or a God that's an evil, wicked God, right? If you base it on experience and feelings where you find your truth, you're not going to encounter Jesus Christ. You will not know him. You will only know of him. Self is then the knowing, and Jesus is the only the stumbling block to their false self-awareness. Okay? I need to know myself. Paul states that he can't know or understand himself. Turn over to Romans 7. Romans chapter 7. Verse seven or verse sorry, verse fifteen. And we'll read almost up to the end of the chapter there. So Romans seven, verse fifteen. For what am I what I am doing I do not understand. Now that you guys have probably read through seven and, and Paul's really gonna just express his heart here about the struggle in life. So he goes through and he says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. <laughs> For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members." O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul is being very honest with the struggle here. And I mean, that's a back and forth. Like sometimes that that verse, if you read it really fast, gets super confusing. What he's saying is, I want to do what Christ and what honors him, but I find myself not being able to do that. And then the things that I don't want to do, the sin, I end up doing that. And he's super frustrated, as many of us are, in our walk that you're like, how can I get over this? (laughs) I continually go back to this sin. I don't want to do that anymore. Things I don't want to do, I keep doing. And he comes to the place of recognizing who he is, right? He doesn't all of a sudden sit down and say, okay, I need to come to my own understanding here. I need to feel this out. I need to understand in myself. 
No, what does he say about himself? Oh, wretched man that I am. He's very honest, isn't he? Can you see Paul walking out of the corner to the light? You see him traveling out of that corner, out of the darkness, and he's seeing who truly is, and he says, a wretched man that I am. Now, that would be a bad place to stop, wouldn't it? I'm glad it doesn't stop there and that we're just all hopeless. Okay, I guess we're all, you know, we're all in the same boat though, right? No, he goes on and he says, I thank God. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So he goes back and he says, I'm wretched man that I am. There's hopeless state, but oh, thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ. For his righteousness, right? That is the only way out. Another verse. In Jeremiah 17, 9, you guys probably know this one. As man claims to know that he's so good, he has the right ways, everybody has their own truth, and they'll work it out as long as they're not hurting each other, or even nowadays, they're like, they don't care if it's hurting somebody else, as long as the mass says it's okay. Isn't that crazy how history repeats itself? The mass saying it's okay? Sad. So, Jeremiah 17, 9. This one says, uh, the heart is deceitful, Above all things, you guys don't have a good heart. I hate to break it to you. It's no good. It's deceitful. It will try to tell you that you're right. And it's desperately wicked. Jeremiah was an awesome guy, an awesome prophet, a very faithful prophet, steadfast in doing what God had called him to for 40 years, not seeing a convert, and mourning with his city as it was destroyed. And here he is saying that about himself. And he says, who can know it? Who can know it? Jesus Christ. And so when we see that, and we see that who can know it, we have the answer to it. If you turn back over to 1 John, where we were at, and it says that he's given us understanding, right? Let me get back there. Back over in 1 John chapter 5, at the very end there in verse 20. Now that we know this, and we've gone through that, now listen to this. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Who can know it? Well, our Savior knows it. He comes and gives us understanding. And has given us understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. And there's so many other scriptures you guys could go off from there and talking about that. But as the world says, I would challenge you guys, don't just follow your heart. Don't do it. Just follow Jesus. Know Jesus. And this isn't to give us a list of the do's and the don'ts. This is to help us come to a place of, Jesus, I want to draw closer to you that I might truly see who I am. So all I have to do is fall on my face before you and thank you for the righteousness that you give me through what you went through. And so to know Jesus and to follow him, we first keep his commandments. Second, we remember where our righteousness comes from and act according to that. We forsake all of our own righteousness, right? We can't do it. And the last is that we understand who is truth. Jesus. If you're ever confused about truth, go back. Chase after his word. Don't be deceived. You guys know it says in the end times what's going to happen. A lot of stuff. But as the context we're talking about, what's going to happen? A lot are going to be deceived. And even every time the disciples sat down with him and said, what are you going to do? What's going to happen in these end times? What does he say? Watch and do not be deceived. How are we not deceived? Because we chase after the truth, Jesus Christ. We know Jesus. And don't let this just become another list of information to better your life. Instead, let this word lead you to a deeper relationship where you can find that his burden is light. You guys want to go ahead and come on up? That his burden is light. You see that when we look for our own righteousness, you guys put a pretty, we, we put a big burden on us, don't we? Always trying to save face, always trying to look good, always worrying about where we're going to go, fearing death. It puts a lot of burden on us, doesn't it? And he's saying, come to me, you guys, come to me. My burden is light. Why is it light? Because you find his right, our righteousness in him. You get to understand what the power of the resurrection is. 
and praise God for that. So, again, ask yourselves, do I know him or do I just know of him? And that's not just an overall in our lives, but look at it individually. When I act out in these ways right now, am I just knowing of him or am I actually knowing Jesus through this situation? When you have deep anxiety, things that are hard in your life, things that you have no answer to the solution, but you're willing to stay up all night to go through it in your head and mull it over, over, and over, and over until you can't sleep anymore and drive yourself crazy, guess what? Know Jesus. Know Jesus. Dive into the Word and say, Jesus, please help me to know you right now. I don't want you to be distant from me. I don't want to just be this guy I know off in this distance. Please help me through this, this crisis, this suffering that I'm enduring right now. This person that's driving me nuts, <laughs> help me to know you that I might pour out the grace and mercy you poured out on me. Help my relationships. Save our marriage. Save my children. All of those guys, Jesus wants to be there for every bit of our lives, doesn't he? So know Jesus. Lord, we come to you right now, and we do want to know you. We just praise you that you have scriptures like this for us, Lord, these little gems that are in here. I pray that we'd be able to follow it, Lord. You challenge us every day as we walk with you. We wouldn't be distracted in the things in the world, Lord, whether it's material stuff or feelings or experiences that we're trying to relate. And, uh, Lord, that you would continually help us to pick up our cross, meaning that we're going to die to self daily, that you might be enthroned in our life. You will be our Lord, the ruler. Thank you for doing that. That is such an unbelievable thing that you've cleansed us, and now we get to be your temple temple of the Holy Spirit. All of these understandings that you bring us are so awesome, Lord. We praise your name for it. Thank you so much for walking with us and having so much mercy, and, and you're just so long-suffering as we continually sin against you and do things that are not honoring to you, but yet you're always there as we come back and repent, Lord. We praise you for that. You're so good to us as a loving Father. Lord, we can't wait to be face-to-face -face with you. Please come quickly. We're excited for the things. We're excited that you're going to show yourself to the world. Lord, we cannot wait to be there with you all eternity. But we know this time that we have here is so short, Lord. And so please help us as we walk and we proclaim your name to the nations, to those around us, to our family members, to the people that we're at work with. Lord, that they would know that we know you. We might bless your name, might make you a proud father. We just pray this in your name. Amen.